When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, Foxborough football fans? This is Kyrie Thompson, and this is First in Foxborough. Before we get started, you know what to do. Make sure you download, subscribe, listen, stream this on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. And now we're on YouTube, baby. You can check me out on there at least three times a week during the offseason. I figure Monday, Wednesday, Friday will be the new schedule for the podcast itself. And then as we get into the real football, once you start getting spring practices, you know, OTAs, mini camp, and finally training camp, we're going to start doing this every day again, because there's just going to be so much news, so many things to talk about. I will always be here delivering you the goods. So I wanted to recap something that I wrote for WEEI.com just this morning, this being Tuesday, the first ever First in Foxborough mock draft on WEEI. I kept it simple this time. I'm going to do a couple different versions of this. Don't worry. I mean, I had a couple people ask me why I didn't simulate more trades or or kind of uh, implement some of the wacky things that the Patriots might end up doing instead of the sane things we think they should. We'll, We'll get to a little bit more of that later on. But I wanted to keep it simple this time around on Pro Football Focus's mock draft simulator. No trades this first round. And just rounds one through three, we will obviously get into full round mocks later on. But you know, once you get down to, again, sixth, seventh round, I mean, it could really be anybody, priority free agents, guys that you think that you might want to sign as undrafted guys, but you're not sure if you'll be able to get them. I mean, it's it's a mess once it gets down to the lower rounds. You're just trying to fill out the bottom of the roster. I figured, let's go ahead and keep it near the top this time. and. Get some discussion going. And I went ahead and ran this, posted on WEEI.com. You can check it out. And got three picks that I think would be immediate contributors for the New England Patriots in 2023 if they ended up being drafted at the end of April. And first and foremost, I explained some of my reasoning for why I did this online. And I'll do it again right here just to walk it through, okay? First and foremost, at number 14 overall, I selected a man that the Patriots have had their eye on for a minute, Mr. Zay Flowers of Boston College. They had him on the Shrine Bowl. I mean, we've had guys on this show, Eric Galco, the uh, director of player personnel down at the Shrine Bowl, the guy who runs the thing, and EJ Snyder of the Bootleg Podcast came on this show and said the Patriots selected Zay Flowers for their team very intentionally and perhaps even to an extent made their participation in the Shrine Bowl a little bit contingent on getting that man on their team. Not confirmed, but listen, they really like it. That's what it sounds like. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of smoke about Zay Flowers being a potential New England Patriot. It's not hard to see why when you flip on the tape, he is electric. He is explosive. He can run any route and get open on any route at any time. I mean, if you're talking about 
polished, ready to go, just, just straight up, you think they are going to be good right away without needing, um, you know, a lot of ramp up. I got to learn NFL routes and learn the nuances of the position. And, and you have a higher base at that. I feel like me personally, it's Zay Flowers and like Jordan Addison and Jackson Smith and Jigba in that conversation in terms of more ready-made guys. And Zay Flowers, I mean, he, he's short, 5'9", weighs in at a buck 83. So he's not the biggest guy out there. I think some people would love that Quentin Johnston from TCU, the, the big like 6'4", looks like a pterodactyl out there and still has crazy yards after the catch ability. And you love that upside. He's probably going to be gone by the time the Patriots pick, of course. But I also think there's something to be said for, look, you can you can toss that guy out there and he's going to start contributing for you immediately. And I think that Zay Flowers also just fits what the Patriots want in a receiver. Quick, smart, tough, can line up anywhere, do anything, get the ball in his hands in any way possible. That's what Boston College did. They were trying anything, any possible way they could to get the ball to that man. And then on top of that, you, you think about the versatility to maybe play special teams, maybe be a return man. I think that the the rapport, the relationship between those two sides would, would just, they would hit it off right away. Now, in terms of what was around that number 14 overall pick, when I went for it, let's get into that a bit. And I will talk about it a bit more later. The first two, two tackles had already come off the board, Paris Johnson and... Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern. They were already gone. Quentin Johnson actually already gone two picks before. And then Anthony Richardson, interestingly enough, the quarterback from Florida went one pick earlier to the Jets of all teams. Don't ask me if I would have taken him at number 14. I don't know if I would, but I would have been tempted. I would have been tempted if he was there. So then... There, were, there, was, there was an edge, Lucas Vadness of Iowa, who's really good. Very good player. He showed out against elite competition. He, I mean, he, he's had, he had good pressures on Paris Johnson, who, again, went in the top 10 of this particular mock draft simulation and probably will go top 10, I would think, in the real draft when it happens. So you could look at that and say that's a premium position on defense. You, you could never have enough good pass rushers, Okay. I think the question to me came down between that. Do you pick Broderick Jones from Georgia, the left tackle who is still on the board, or do you go with the receiver? Because all those receivers that I mentioned, Addison, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, Flowers, they were all there. Van Ness, I feel like edge is a position that you could get quality depth at later on. You don't necessarily have to take that in the first round unless you feel really strongly about it. With Jones, I love the upside. I love the potential, the size, and everything that he could be. I just don't know if the Patriots want a guy who really only had one full year as a starter at left tackle. The, the, it, he's still pretty raw. There's a lot of inexperience there, even though there's also a lot of talent. I just don't know if the Patriots are going to go for that. I feel like they want a guy who's going to be an immediate contributor. They, they tend to like guys from the senior bowl and the shrine bowl for a reason, right? They played a lot of college football. They, they've got more seasoning. And so I, I feel like that is more of a possibility 
for number 14. And then it's just a matter of which kind of more experienced guy do you want? And I feel like we've seen, for example, last year, there was a run on tackles and receivers early. I feel like we're going to see some of these receivers go earlier than you think. I, I personally think that if you get, if you want Zay Flowers, you take him at number 14. I will, I will explain why later on a little bit more in depth. But anyway, that was my first pick, number 14 overall. Get Mac Jones a weapon. Guy who's going to come in and help out your offense. Zay Flowers is going to do that. Round two, we got Eli Ricks, cornerback from Alabama, formerly of LSU. He transferred to Alabama for the 2022 season. This one was a bit more of a challenging decision, I would say. I I'd had my eye on Keely Ringo from Georgia as a possibility here because he's he's big. He's got that prototypical number one cornerback size, but he got sniped the pick before, so I wasn't able to do that. I think there were, there were a lot of good defensive backs around this area. I feel like DB was probably the best position available at this particular spot, and Eli Ricks with the Alabama connection, getting competed in, in the SEC against Alabama for a couple of years, played well, and then goes to Alabama and plays well again. Only 31% completions allowed by that guy in this last year. No fly zone on his side of things. You look at the production over his career, and it's not necessarily that inspiring over his three years as a starter. What, he had five interceptions, and 10 pass breakups. So not necessarily a lot of on the ball production, but doesn't look like they were throwing his way a lot. You can understand why. 6'2", about 190 pounds, long, physical. He reminded me when I was watching him of basically what a bigger Jack Jones might play like. When I was watching him in minicamp, watching him just fight and wrestle guys to the ground at the line of scrimmage. He's out there just busting people in his jams. I feel like Eli Ricks has that kind of potential. And again, sticky enough to stay with you at the top of the route. And if that ball is anywhere near him, he's getting a hand on it. He can knock that down. And Nick Saban is going to be able to tell Bill Belichick, hey, you know what? I like this guy. I think he's good. He's got good instincts. He can play whichever scheme you want. And I think that you can, you've got something to work with here if that's what he wants to do. And the, the competition level that he played against, to me, is unquestioned. So I like that as kind of a safe pick where, again, cornerback is a position that they the Patriots were adequate at last year, but you got to be better. You got to have elite talent that can come in right away and, and potentially start for you and disrupt that cornerback rotation. You don't entirely know what the position is going to look like because, look, Jonathan Jones might be resigned. I feel like there's a good chance he resigns with the Patriots, but you don't know that right now. Jalen Mills should probably be there, but he's also at a point where his contract, you could move on from it if you wanted to. And then Jack Jones might slide in. He might make sense to slide in as a starter, but maybe he's depth. I mean, he's there's still some question marks to be answered with that cornerback room, who's going to play in the slot, all that kind of stuff. But in the end, you can never have enough good corners. And I think that adding Eli Ricks to this mix really helps you out in terms of making sure you have a solid foundation at that position. If not Ricks, somebody like Ringo, if he's available. 
or somebody else in that kind of vein. But I felt like defensive back was definitely more the play the way that my simulation shook out. So feel pretty good about that. A guy that I think can immediately come in as long as he can stay on the field because availability was one of the only issues he had. Struggled with injuries at LSU. And then he never played 10 games in a college season. So that might be concerning. As long as he can stay healthy, though, I think that's a good player. Skipping to the third round, I went with Notre Dame's Isaiah Foskey, edge rusher, as my next pick. Again, guy who's at the Senior Bowl, not the Shrine Bowl, but Demarcus Covington, the defensive line coach for the Patriots, was down there as a defensive coordinator working with teams. He was not the defensive coordinator of Foskey's team, but you would have to think that he and whatever Patriots brass were down there got a look at him and were very intrigued by what they saw. He's got great size, and I think he's he's almost Matthew Judon-sized right now, like 6'4", 6'5", 260, 270. He could probably still put a little bit more weight on that frame. He's a twitchy athlete. Maybe not necessarily like, oh my goodness, his first step is, is out of this world, but enough speed, enough bend, powerful hands. We saw him shake alignment down at the senior bowl and one-on-ones just by putting two hands in his chest and making them touch earth. This guy is strong. He can man the point of attack in the run game. He's still working, I think, on developing an arsenal of pass rush moves, but his length, I think, is really going to help him find his way in that in that aspect of his game early on. You can see some clips of him getting into a guy's body, in an offensive tackle's body, holding him at bay with one arm and then coming around with the other arm to make a sack. Big time motor, think that he can come in and be a well-rounded player right away at at a position, again, where you can never have enough good players. And obviously you've got Judon, you've got Josh Uche, who proved himself as a really good rotational pass rusher, had 10 plus sacks last year. But Is he a guy who is absolutely an every down player or would he be better served sticking in that role as a guy who's going to come down on third downs and get after you off the edge with just amazing speed? I think I would like that. Dietrich Wise is another solid player, but again, he's kind of a tweener. You can use him in a bunch of different ways. I like having Dietrich Wise be able to move inside and out. And and again, you can never have enough good talent, especially young talent at that position. Then you throw in this, and this I think could be a kicker in terms of ha, kicker. You're going to see where this is going. I think that his special teams acumen could really stand out to the Patriots. He blocked four punts, including two in one game at one point and returned one of them for a touchdown in his career. So, I mean, Sam Roberts basically got drafted to the Patriots last year in the sixth round just because he blocked a bunch of kicks for the most part. You see a guy who's out there making plays on special teams where you can play him on all four downs every phase of the game. I think you absolutely look at that with the New England Patriots and say, you know what? Okay, maybe he's not somebody who's going to immediately come in and start for us and get 10 plus sacks as a rookie, though his last two years in college, he had double digit sacks both of those years. So you look at that production very good, especially when you're playing at Notre Dame, which is a you know very well-known school. And they had a little bit of experience in bowls and in the playoffs and such while Foskey was there. 
So I think that you look at that and you say, that's a really well-rounded football player. Experienced. He's got the intangibles that we like. He works hard. And I think he's going to keep on getting better. Oh, and by the way, we can throw him on special teams right now and have him contribute. I think that that could be very valuable to the New England Patriots. So to recap, got Zay Flowers, got Eli Ricks and Isaiah Foskey as my three picks in the Patriots, in my first Patriots mock draft of this season. Now, I shared this on social media and and I got a couple of questions and, and a little bit of debate and interaction. By the way, thank you to everybody who interacted with that post and and left your comments and we're having some good discussions. I'm really grateful for that. I like having that discussion with you all. And I wanted to address a couple different things within that discussion. So number one, why not go with an offensive tackle in round one or really in the first three rounds of the mock that I just did? I think the question, the, the answer for why not do it in rounds two and three, it's honestly because from where we were picking at that point, offensive tackle was not the best player available at that spot. I did have an interesting point where Dewan Jones, the right tackle, for Ohio State, who played opposite of Paris Johnson, was available, but he was kind of down the list on the big board. I was tempted to take him because he looks like he just continues to get better. He balled out at the Senior Bowl for the amount of time that he was on there, just blocking out the sun. Nobody could get past him. As a matter of fact, the guy that I just took in the third round, Isaiah Foskey, kind of had his way with Dewan Jones a little bit when the two faced off in the first game of the college football season this past year. Isaiah Foskey was really getting it in on Dewan Jones. And then they, when they met in the Senior Bowl, Dewan Jones was not letting Isaiah Foskey anywhere near the backfield. He was stopping him up. So I think that the, the improvement there has been very impressive. But again, I just feel like There are some questions about where he fits, how does he fit, and he might end up rising out of the third round, I I would think. There there is a possibility that 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 happens, and he might not be there at all. But why not take him at that point? I don't know. Maybe there's some questions about, is he he good, or is is he just too big for people to deal with? at the college football level. And then when he gets to the NFL, how good is he going to be? Is it just going to be like, okay, yeah, we get another Trent Brown and throw him on the right side. How does he move, right? How does he do the the little things at tackle? So maybe that's a, that's a situation where you could say, okay, maybe you could have taken that in the third round for the value that he was going to be there at. I just thought that you know, Foskey is going to be able to come in and contribute right away without as many questions. So I went with that, but that that's a fair critique if you want to have that. Now, I will say that in round one, like I mentioned, Peter Skaronsky and Paris Johnson were already gone. So by that point, those two aren't even an option. And Broderick Jones is there. I mentioned this already, but Broderick Jones is a guy that needs a little bit more seasoning to me. And when you look at what the Patriots did, for example, last year with Cole Strange, yeah, he played at University of Tennessee Chattanooga, but he played at the Senior Bowl. He he played four years of football. So he's coming in, you have an idea of he's, he's experienced. He's a plug and play starter right away. 
With Broderick Jones, you figure if you take him, you're going to go ahead and you're going to start him, especially at number 14 overall. But what's the learning curve going to be like for him? Is he, are you going to have to deal with growing pains? And do you want to be dealing with growing pains in a year when Mac Jones really needs to get this figured out and you need to decide if he's the dude or not? Wouldn't you rather maybe stick with Trent Brown, who honestly, he wasn't bad. Trent Brown was not bad. He was sick and hurt a little bit. And when he was out there playing sick and hurt, he was not good. And there were times when you wondered, okay, is his focus all the way there or whatnot? But by and large, Trent Brown was fine. He was not the biggest problem to me with the Patriots offense, at least not in my opinion. So I would feel fine with rolling with Trent Brown at either one of those tackle spots. And then the question is, what do you do with the other spot? If you feel like you like Trent Brown at left tackle, which I think there was there was enough to like there, then do you say, okay, let's go ahead and sign a right tackle, like a Mike McGlinchey. Or maybe you grab a right tackle prospect, or maybe you roll with somebody like, Stuber last year, who who was drafted to the team, he did not play at all for the team. Uh, he he ended up on on NFI, but you also have that. You got Chase and Hines. You have developmental options that maybe you could look at, and you also have Connor McDermott, who honestly played pretty solid football over there at right tackle. You could do better, and I think the Patriots should try to do better than Connor McDermott and Stuber and Chase and I. Yes, yes, they they should definitely try to do better. I'm just saying that there are avenues to make that offensive line better that don't necessarily mean you have to take a huge swing at offensive line with the first pick. Honestly, I don't think the offensive line was even as horrible as people think that it was. And you could make the argument that some of the issue with the offensive line, it wasn't a talent issue. I don't really think it was a talent issue at all. You could say it was a coaching issue. And the fact that they were changing up their protection schemes, their calls, and doing things that a lot of these guys just weren't used to. And that's why they couldn't pass off a simple stunt, because they, they just didn't have the background and the language. Now, if you go ahead and you bring back Bill O'Brien, and you say, look, this is how we're going to do We're going to do a little bit more old school right now. Trent, you know how this goes. And you guys, if you know how this goes, you're more familiar with this number system. Maybe you're not going to have some of these issues again. Maybe you're going to get people playing with a bit more comfort. And if you believe that, and if they have Adrian Clem, the new offensive line coach, is as good as, or at least better than Matt Patricia. Let's be real. The bar is be better than Matt Patricia. Be competent at your job. If they are able to, to do that and just set a much higher floor for what the offensive line is, I do agree that they should get more offensive line talent but it might not be an absolute utter necessity at number 14. And then there's also evidence to suggest whether you look at, I've been looking at pro football focuses, war calculations and you know, with both in the pros and in college, just how many wins are you worth? In particular, how many wins are, are each position worth or is, is each position worth? And wide receiver consistently comes out on top of offensive tackle. And maybe that's bias, right? Because, I mean, offensive tackles can't run out and catch passes and such. And, and it's not necessarily like it's a super wide gap. 
but the the ceiling for a good wide receiver and even the middling wide receivers are just a little bit more valuable than their counterparts at offensive tackle. Now the drop off could be consistently could, could be worse. If you have a bad tackle out there playing, that can hurt you more than maybe having a bad meh receiver out there. But if we're talking about upside, the upside looks like it's greater with receiver than it is with offensive line. And again, with the offensive line room, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. You have to have tackle depth, though. You have to have competent tackles that are going to come in, do their job, and have tack- and have a couple in the stable, right? Because you saw injuries crop up last year, injuries and absences for various things. So you have to have that. But again, look at the receiver room, man. I mean, you don't even know if Jacoby Myers is going to be here anymore. He could well price his way out of New England. I I mean, I'm not going to say that for sure, but if he's going to be one of the top free agent receivers on the market, you could lose him. And then you're losing your best receiver. And then that becomes your, I don't, I don't care who, what offensive lineman is there at number 14. That's your biggest need is wide receiver, not offensive line, not tackle. By the way, the interior of the offensive line is just fine. You don't really need to worry about that. But I think that has to be on your mind if you're the New England Patriots, the idea that you might not have Jacoby Myers. And even if you did, even if you did have Jacoby Myers, you still need more playmakers on offense. And you still don't know who all is going to be playing receiver for this team. I mean, Nelson Aguilar has gone. That's not going to happen. He's not re-signing there. I'd be, oh my God, I'd be shocked. He's not going to be there. Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker are both under contract. But they have contracts that are pretty cuttable if the Patriots decided they wanted to save a little bit of money. They could save more than $5 million by getting rid of Kendrick Bourne, and they could save $6 million by getting rid of Devontae Parker. At this particular point in time, I would not do that. That does not make the Patriots better. I am not advocating for that. I'm just stating facts. And then Tyquan Thornton, who I like, and I think he's got potential as a, as a burner, but didn't really show that as much, mostly because of injury, but also because I don't think the offense knew how to use him last year, which was really unfortunate. So let's not act like the receiver position is is all good, that there's a lot of depth there. You need playmakers. You need guys that are going to help out Mac Jones and take those five-yard passes and turn them into 20- and 30-yard gains that are going to go make a play down the field for him, that are going to put the fear of God in a defense every time they are on the field that they're finally going to have to find a guy that's like, yo, we need to circle this guy, okay, because he keeps getting open on us and we can't stop him. You need a guy that does that. To me, that's more important right now in today's NFL than having an offensive tackle. Now, if you're talking about Trent Williams or something like that, like the best offensive tackle in the game, then we've got a discussion. Okay, then we we have an absolute discussion. If you could tell me Trent Williams was in this draft, then I'm on it. But I don't know that we can bank on that. And I feel like just receiver is has become such a valuable position. I think tackle and receiver are kind of neck and neck with that. You look at what happened last year, which leads into my next point. So I'm going to go ahead and make this point right now. Why not wait for Zay? Why or or any of those receivers? Why not just take the tackle? And then count on maybe getting a receiver later, in, like in the second round or the third round, or 
Why don't you just trade back in the first round if you really want a receiver and go ahead and get one? Here's why. Last year in this draft, you saw three tackles go in the top 10, as I recall. And then you saw four receivers go in the top 12. And then you saw a couple go after that, where you saw Jahan Dotson go to the commanders, number 16 overall, which is interesting because he's taller than Zay Flowers, but about the same weight. So about the same size. So the people who are concerned about the lack of elite size, like, oh yeah, he's really skinny. That doesn't necessarily matter to these teams who are looking at it like, yeah, but he can get open and he can burn on you and he just makes plays. That I think teams are starting to come around on that. And then right after Dotson, you had Traylon Burks going to the Tennessee Titans. People are starting to acknowledge how important the receiver position is and also the ballooning of wide receiver contracts where you know that if you want to go ahead and get a T. Higgins, like the, the big thing this offseason has been trade for T. Higgins, trade for DeAndre Hopkins, trade for a guy. I'm supportive of that personally, especially if you think T. Higgins is better right now than any of these guys in the draft, which he is right now. And you go ahead and you take that big swing for Mac Jones. I support that. But again, you got to think about this. Not only do you have to give up the draft capital, where you're talking about potentially more than one first round pick, or at least a first round pick and a bunch of high picks in this year and in the future, but then you got to pay the guy $100 million. That's the going rate for that kind of receiver. You got you got to fork up the draft capital and you got to pay him at least $100 million to get them to come in. Is Bill Belichick going to want to do that? My gut feeling is no. And if you're not going to do it, and you have this particular position right here, number 14 overall, to me, you got to think about taking that guy that you want right now. Don't wait. Don't try to take a blue chip guy later on and hope he, and, and, and uh, you know, hope he turns into something. Hope you can develop him. It hasn't really worked out that well for the Patriots in recent years. Get a guy that you know is going to come out and ball for you right away. To me, Zay Flowers, it seems like they think he could be that guy. Now, the other thing I want to address is I mentioned that those four receivers were taken in the top 12 last year. I want to focus on a couple of them because I think that people had a pretty good idea that Drake London and Garrett Wilson were going to go decently high, that they were the, the two top receivers in the draft. Well, then you had Chris Olave and Jamison Williams, who were a talking point here. The first mock draft that I saw come out had Chris Olave down in the second round, getting picked up in the in the 30s or 40s or what have you. Jamison Williams might have been the first receiver off the board had he not gotten hurt in the national championship a couple of years ago. But alas, that did happen. And so he ends up sliding down draft boards in the mock drafts and everybody was thinking, oh yeah, he would be great for the Patriots at number 21 or, or somewhere around there, right? Or if he didn't make it to number 21, yeah, he'd go at 24, 25 to a receiver needy team somewhere in there. And then you know what happened as time went on, particularly once the combine hit and everybody saw Chris Olave run that 4-4, well, they started creeping up the draft boards and creeping up and creeping up. Until finally, on draft day, Chris Olave, the guy who was getting picked to go in the early second round, went number 11 overall to the New Orleans Saints. 
number 11. And then Jamison Williams goes number 12. That dude couldn't even play most of the year. But they took the Detroit Lions took him 12th overall because they were like, you know what? When he can play, he's going to be awesome. And then, of course, he hits the field and every he makes everybody look like they're walking. It's hilarious how fast that man is. But my point being is that we do this every year. Right? Oh, yeah, this receiver is kind of small. I project him in the second round. He, he, there's no way he's a first round talent. Right. And then what happens is they get dropped. They all get bumped up. They all get drafted up if they're that good, if they show out at the combine and they show you that they are ready to get it done right now. And I think that's what's going to happen to this group of receivers. We're, we're over here talking about Zay Flowers. If Zay Flowers runs a 4-3 or you know a, a low 4-4, then ain't no way he's going in the second round. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. And you know what? You might not get a shot at him at number 14 or, or past number 14 either. You know, this idea, yeah, we'll trade back and get him in the 20s. I don't know about all that. We'll have to see. And then again, say Zay Flowers goes up. I feel like that sort of tide lifts all boats, right? Say Quentin Johnston goes 10th or 11th. And then you've got to start thinking about a run on wide receivers potentially happening. Say he goes even earlier than that. What if he goes in the top 10? meaning Quentin Johnston. I bet you that's going to have teams thinking about a run on wide receiver. And then you're going to see Jordan Addison get up there, which that dude can fly, by the way. He's got some juice over at USC. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who he's going to be the interesting one because he's probably not going to run that fast at the combine. He's not a burner. He's a quick, shifty guy, really good hands, Great routes, great understanding of how to play the wide receiver position, but the measurables might turn people off. But again, you listen to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson talk about it. And he's like, yeah, he's better than both of us. So I don't know that you can count on Jackson Smith and Jigba making it to the second round either. Look, the reality is that the way the NFL is going right now, those guys are going to be first round picks. Book it. It's going to happen. So you have to decide. Do you like this guy enough to take him at number 14? And if the answer is yes, do it. Don't overthink it. Do it now because you're not going to get the chance in the second round at number 46. Not going to happen. And then if you're at number 46 and maybe you can package some of those picks that you might get, especially if you have comp picks, maybe you can package some and move up. But again, you're still not going to get that top crop of receivers. So my, my thought is if you want to go get one, then you better get them and you better do it before it's too late. So that's my thought on why go ahead and get a receiver early if you can. And to a lesser degree, why I went ahead and went with some of the players I did cornerback and edge rusher in rounds one through three. I'm going to do this exercise again. I'm going to do some full mock drafts. I'm going to do some off-the-wall mock drafts. Like, let's get as weird as we possibly can. What do we think the Patriots are going to do? I'll, I'll throw some trades in there at some point as well. And I'm going to make sure that those drafts are basically entirely different so that we can see a kaleidoscope of different ways the Patriots might approach this. So thank you all for, for checking in, for listening to this. I'm Kyrie Thompson. This has been First in Foxborough. Make sure you download, subscribe, 
listen, stream this podcast on the free Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts, and check me out on YouTube. See you later.